0: I love our entire choir, um, but just a shout out to Abby, my confirmand, and I'm, I, thank you. That's so awesome to see you back there. That's just great. Um, I'm sorry to embarrass you, but anyway, she's part of our confirmation class, and I'm proud of our confirmands. And uh, she's what's that? Where? Where's Breland? Oh, that's right. Breland's she's doing some confirmation. So Breland and Abby both are 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 part of the choir. That's awesome. I'm proud of them. Proud of all 10 of our confirmands. Um let's let's pray. Lord, not my words, but your word. Help us to catch a vision to to feel something so deeply that we don't have words for it as a result of worship and And your amazing story, and uh, be with us this hour so that we might be changed as we go out into this world. In your name we pray, Amen. So, the greatest American architect in the history of the United States or our country would be Frank Lloyd Wright. He did some amazing things. He um, was born in, I believe, the late 1800s, he died in 1959 and uh, was an amazing talent in the architect world. One winter, when he was nine years old, he took a walk through a snowy meadow with his uncle. And they were walking through the meadow, and toward the end, his uncle, kind of very straight-laced and reserved, told young Frank to look back at the tracks. Look, Frank, see the tracks right there? Now, you see my tracks are straight and coming right here in a straight line. Do you see your tracks, Frank? Uh, Yes, sir. What, What do you notice about them? Well, they're over here and over there. Yes, yes, Frank. They meander. You need to let that be a lesson in life. You need to go right after things. So Frank tells this story later when somebody asked him about his philosophy of life. Frank said, I determined when I was nine years old walking with my uncle not to miss most things in life like my uncle did. There's something holy and sacred about Paying attention to things in life. And while I think his uncle, there's probably a little truth to what his uncle said. Sometimes you have to go right after something. But boy, to go through life and miss seeing what God has made might be the worst crime of all. The very first Old Testament biblical character who gave God a name. There are many names for God. Some of you, oh, what's her name? She was an early Christian contemporary uh, singer. She sang El Shaddai. I think it's in our hymn book. Who is that? Amy Grant, El Shaddai. Well, there are a lot of El Shaddai's, El El Jehovah, all these names for God. But the very first character in the Bible was really a, uh, who did this, was a beleaguered character. It was Hagar, who was shunned by Abraham and by um, Abraham and by Sarah, Um, she and her child Ishmael going in. And she called God this. She gave God this, and this is in Genesis 16, 3. She called God El Roy, R-O-I, which means the God who sees. The God who sees. Something holy and sacred, not only about seeing, but about being seen. And as the story goes that you heard Paul read today in our Old Testament, there's a king of Israel, all right, and his name was Saul. He was not doing a very good job, and he was not listening to God and he was doing all manner of things and straying. And before Saul died, God said, we need a new king. So God tapped Samuel, the prophet, on the shoulder and said, want you to go to Bethlehem. Go to Bethlehem and find Jesse's family. There you will find the next king. And so... Samuel grabs his horn of oil. There was like a little triangle, like a horn, like a leather thing. And he, and he poured this um, uh, anointing oil in it. And then there was wax at the bottom of it, at the bottom, the whole of it. And so that wax would supposedly melt when it was on top of the, of the right person to be anointed. And Samuel, Jesse got his boys there and lined them up oldest you would think no the second no and on down and down all of a sudden it was like he was out of people all seven sons in front of samuel were a no god said no (laughs) and he finally said jesse you got any more boys i don't know why i think of the dukes of hazard when i hear but you know when there guy named jesse there or something you got any more boys well i got one more he's of no consequence though i mean he didn't say that But he didn't line up David. David was out there doing menial work as a shepherd. And David comes in. And God said, this is the one. Now, the oldest son, it said he was really tall. He was really tall. You may not know this, but you can go back and you can see that Saul was literally head and shoulders above everybody else. And if you wanted like a really stud king that could do it all, kings, remember, went to battle with the army. So you wanted a big, imposing figure. And so Saul was, was really tall, and that was part of what maybe made, made people think he was all that. Um, and so the first son in Jesse's bunch just looks like the part of a king on the outside. But God says no. The next one, tall. God says no. And then, finally, all the way down, here comes David. David must have had movie star looks, but he wasn't all that tall. He, he wasn't ferocious. He was just a good-looking guy, I guess. And God said, that's the guy, anointing. And so Samuel does it. Now, you may be wondering, why in the world was everybody so scared when Samuel came to town? That's because Saul had not died. And that's why Samuel needed an alibi. Like, God, what do I tell him? Because I'm going to get killed if I say I'm anointing a new king. Because there's only room for one king, right? There's only room for one sheriff. And so God said, here's your alibi. Take a heifer, you know. But Samuel listened to God. And even Samuel, whose nickname was the seer. Even those of us who... have eyes to see, and are good at discerning things, not as good as God. Because Samuel would have anointed the wrong person. There's something so holy and sacred about seeing and about being seen. I wonder in this world if any of you have felt like David I mean, couldn't that sometimes be all of our story, young David? It started early with me in kindergarten, right? I got in a little trouble. I know that's hard for you to believe, but I did get in a little trouble in kindergarten. And Miss Millbrandt said, you are not going to Brookhaven Bank on our field trip. And so I was left out. I remember young, you remember all those birthday parties? You remember the one you weren't invited to? I remember getting a little older. Right here in Jackson, Mississippi, I was with my cousin Warren, four years older than me. I'm 13, 14, had some pretty good basketball skills. But I was not only the last person picked, I was the odd man out. So I had to just wait until somebody got tired. Have you ever felt unseen or been the last person picked? Have you ever felt invisible in your life where people just didn't even notice you because you weren't in their minds important enough? You know how like dehumanizing that, how humiliating that feels at times? And you know, it doesn't stop in childhood getting passed over for that promotion or something happens and you get rejected by people and you feel like they're all talking about you. They may or may not be, but you're outside the realm There is no more awful feeling, and that's sort of that's where David was. But you see, God looks at something else. God is always finding the underdogs. I mean, that's really it. So most of you will be able to relate, especially if you root for State or Ole Miss. You know about the underdogs, like right now. If you root for Alabama you can take the next 10 minutes off because this is not going to apply to you. But everybody else, you have to deal, I'm a Mississippi State guy, I have to deal with long suffering, you know, a lot of times. Every now and then we'll have a good team. God seems to love the underdogs. It's always the least likely person to succeed is the most likely one to receive. God doesn't look on the outside for you and for me God doesn't look at the things that we look at. God looks, it says, at the heart. So if you ever have been picked last or excluded or pushed away or been made to think that you're crazy in some way, you might be exactly where God wants you or needs you. People see on the outside, but God looks on the heart. Now there's a double side to that, and that is this. If we worship El Roy this morning, the God who sees, it should affect our vision about what's important in life. There are a lot of stories out there about who's, who's, who's the important person and who matters in this world. And if we want to follow Jesus, then we have to let Jesus change our vision about what's most important in this world and who's important in this world. And most of the time, it's the least likely person in the room. That's who we're looking out for. Jesus is the one that shows up. He is the one that's the least likely. You know, I could have shared in the gospel the story about Jesus healing the man who was blind. The man was blind and he was begging all his life. And Jesus puts a little spit in his eyes. And, and the guy goes and and jumps in the water. He never could get to the water, but he finally does. And when he opens the eyes, he doesn't see Jesus. He just sees a whole bunch of people accusing him of like, who did this to you? His parents disowned him. He didn't know what. He said, Look, all I know is this. I was blind. But now I see, that's it. And they kicked him out of the synagogue. They kicked him out of the synagogue. And here this man can see, and he finally can see, and finally a stranger sits down beside him. And then he finally recognizes his voice, that's Jesus. And they talk. You see, God is always looking for those who are the most invisible and the underdogs in life. And if that's true about God, can that be true about the church? That we are here to look after one another, especially those who are the most vulnerable, those who are the most broken. That's who we're called to do and to be. God loves the underdogs. God sees the underdogs. How many of you watched any basketball this weekend? Did you? Look, there were grown men in airport airports hugging each other after Farley Dickinson beat Purdue. They didn't even know where Farley Dickinson is, right? It's in New Jersey, by the way, but that's where it is. This little school, this 16 seed, beats the one. Maybe there's something instinctively to us about those who are underdogs. Maybe that's why when we see something on social media about someone who overcame the odds or the least likely person... Maybe maybe that's why our heart melts. Maybe there's something divine there. Maybe God, during Lent, as we get closer to Easter, is asking us to look for the little Davids in this world. Who need to know that they're seen and loved. Samuel is had a horn of oil. But that horn of oil as he traveled to Bethlehem was not for Samuel. It was for somebody else. And you and I may not be picking leaders and ordaining important people in the world's eyes. But I firmly believe, Christian, that you and I who follow Jesus, we all have our horn of oil that belongs to somebody else. And God has given it to us to have eyes to see what person needs to be anointed and strengthened and pulled in to be reminded that they have a purpose in life that they're loved eternally by God that is our purpose whose oil whose oil like the oil that God has given you who is that meant for who's God calling you to bless and to anoint I and mean, listen to God carefully Because what you do with that oil is going to say a lot about your faith in God. Who is it that you're called to anoint? All I know is that when God shows up, better yet, when when Jesus shows up, that's when our vision clears. When we meet a God who sees us, then we can share, I was... Once blind, but now I see. When we meet the God who finds us, we say, I was once lost, but now I'm found. See, Jesus is our vision. Jesus is our sight. And by Jesus' love, we can all be seen. And all of us from time to time need a little bit of vision correction. Some of us today, you don't have to delay. raise your hands. Some of us are afflicted with spiritual myopia, right? We're so short-sighted that we don't see the long game. We don't see that God has called us to a life of love and service. Be careful what you do with your oil. Because the oil that God has given you is meant for someone else. So today... May we all say, I once was blind, but now I see. I was lost, but now I'm found. May we know that that amazing grace is not only working on our hearts, but on our eyes. So that when we walk out this door, we know that God looks on the heart, on the inside. And let it be good news to you if you feel a little bit short of stature in any way. Maybe you don't feel like you're enough in some way. That God sees you too. And that God has great things for all of us. Let us pray. Oh God, we love the underdog. And we are so glad that you love the underdog too. Sometimes, oh God, we don't feel like we do enough or we are enough And we pray that you would dispel those feelings and help us to get back on our feet again. Lord God, we know that the best way we can get on our feet is to help others. Lord, why did you give us this oil? Who do you need us to anoint as a church? What person needs the warmth of our fellowship that does not think they belong? Help us, oh God, to find the next David or Amy or Rebecca or John. Give us eyes to see. In Christ's name, amen.